people I have association with and in people in the world, a lot of times, they'll say, uh, the question is, what is wrong with the world today? Even people in the world can see that there are some serious problems out there, the, the, the problems they're having in the world. And then also they'll make comments about the problems in the schools and stuff, and then, then they'll say, what is wrong with the kids today? Of course, we're not talking about our, our perfect young adults here. Uh, we're talking about those in the world that have no have no guidance or instruction at home. But um, when we think about this question um, in this godless society, and there are those out there that have some semblance of, of uh, spirituality, and that's good. Um, but for the most part, we see our society produces um, uh, terrible things, and, and, and these are all the products of unbelief. And it creates a world truly that is out of order. And it's not a big mystery to those that are, that are familiar with the scriptures of why this is happening. And um, let's turn to uh, Romans chapter 1. Starting with verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women to change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. So herein lies the answer to the question is, what is wrong with the world today? And um, we know the world is not God-centered. So in dealing with this problem, um, I'd like to start off uh, and talk about the origin of this problem of unbelief. And as we mentioned, we're going to deal with it um, in respect to um, our families and our ecclesias. As we talk about unbelief in these last days, and, and we've had this mentioned, surely these are the last days because we know the world arena is set and there's not a whole lot more prophetically that can happen before we feel the return of our Lord. So we know that in these end times that we are going to face many battles. And, and we look, as we look to this problem of unbelief, we consider the source of this problem. And we know, as we mentioned and Saturday night that it does come from without or from the world, from without the brotherhood or from the world. And, of course, this is the distractions and the enticements that we, that we come up against, and there are many, many out there. But sadly, it also comes from within the brotherhood. And we've seen evidence of this in the last few... Well, it's, been, it's actually happened down through, through the ages, but just in the last few years, we've seen uh, doctrinal problems, errors come in, but also, not only that, we've also seen uh, swings in conduct and lifestyles that are not in line with God's truth. 
And I think also these are uh, products of unbelief. We're also going to take a look at Israel, and we know Israel battled this many, many times. Uh, unbelief has been a big part of their history. And for us at this time, uh, it might not be in the form of physical persecution, as we know that uh, a lot of our ancient worthies and those uh, brethren from earlier times suffered great atrocities. I can't even imagine having your family and your uh, children killed in front of you and being tortured. And in some parts of the world, we know that this is, this in fact is still happening today. Um, and we can't really say that it will never happen here in, in the United States. Uh, in our prayers to our Heavenly Father, though, we need to pray the words found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. It says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. If it is the Lord's will, we know that it is our prayer and it is our desire um, to live quiet and peaceful lives until Christ returns. But we know this might not be in Yahweh's plan. <clears throat> and, in, and in speaking of that, we know that our prayers also should always include, if it be thy will, as we understand that everything needs to be in alignment with God's plan and purpose. And even if we are blessed with quiet and peaceful lives, and I think most of us at this time um, are, we know that there can exist obstacles, distractions, snares, and major challenges for the believer. As we mentioned, these come from the world and from within the brotherhood as well. And this is a concern for the young as well as the old. We see this subtlety of our liberal tolerant society has its own serious and destructive dangers that can really hinder us in our walk. And these are problems and dangers that can come upon us gradually um, and, and subtly. And when we think of uh, the example, uh, I know it's been said that um, if, you take a, if you take a frog and you put him in a pot of hot water on the stove, Instantly, he's alerted to it, and he'll jump out to save himself. But if you take that frog and you put him in a, a pot of cold water and you put it on the stove and heat it slowly and gradually and bring it up, that he won't sense the danger. He's, he's not aware of it. And so it, it, the water heats up, and it can actually boil him and kill him, but he doesn't realize it, so he stays in there till he meets his death. And so we know that there are frogs out there that that are complacent frogs. They, they'll sit in the pot. It feels good to them. The warm water's nice. The problem is, eventually, it does get hot. And then they realize as their skin starts to peel off their bodies and the flesh off their bones that there's a serious problem. But by then, it's too late. And they meet their demise. So what we have to be is we have to be the smart frog that gets out of that water and gets out of the pot and escapes. As we think of this pot heating up slowly and gradually, we see how it is in the world today. We know that the morality, the honesty, and the ethics uh, of society are on a steady decline. And as we look at these words and consider these words, we see morality is the quality of an action which renders it good, the conformity of an act to the divine law, and from a motive of obedience to the divine will. So it's interesting here that this is based on Morality is, is based on God's laws and commandments. 
And then we consider the next word, which is the honesty. And we know that it is a disposition to conform to justice and correct moral principles in all social transactions. So this, in, this also is based on morals. And then we have ethics, which is a system of moral principles, a system of rules for regulating the actions and manners of men in society. And so we see here uh, with this definition of ethics that it's a system of moral principles. So indeed, we know how this can change over time. And then we can get into what they call situation ethics. It's where the end justifies the means. And basically what this is, is no matter what it takes, as long as you get what you want, it's okay, no matter what, what it takes for you to get there. Of course, we do realize this is not a spiritual concept. It's a maxim of the world, and it works quite well for them. As we see the decline of the world standards, um, we become used to this. And my dad always used to be house syndrome, where how you know when you walk into a movie theater, and at first when you walk into the dark part, it's, it, just, it just really hits you blatantly. You can't see anything. But as you stay in there for a while, your eyes start to adjust, and then you start to see chairs and people, and you can actually, after a period of time, you can actually see pretty well. So as the standards are gradually, little by little, uh, worse by worse, uh, and this is also called uh, the deceitfulness of sin, and it's one of our verses in Hebrews 3. And actually now we consider this, we, we, we see that it's not really so much uh, little by little, but it's pretty much on a rapid downhill decline. And we really see this in the, in the worldly entertainment industry, in movies and music, and TV sitcoms, and, and uh, talk shows. Brother uh, Jim Washick, I mentioned to him that I'm going to be quoting him some this week, and, and uh, I think he's all right with that, I hope. But anyway, he had a recent article in The Advocate, um, and his article we'll be quoting from was entitled, Lest We Be Hardened Through the Deceitfulness of Sin. And it's interesting because it comes from the reading we had um, on unbelief in Hebrews 3. And it says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be any, in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. It was interesting because he talked about how on these television programs that they are geared to respond to the public's addiction to the strange and macabre through a constant stream of werewolf, ghost, superpower, and supernatural themes. Such programming turns young people's interest from reality to fantasy and instills a tolerance, if not a craving, for that which is vain and futile. And I, I would add to this comment, uh, for some reason, the fascination with zombies and vampires. We've had a flood of, of these movies um, as of late, and, and then even worse than that, we see these movies about torture and dismemberment. Um, this is really sad and sick. This is what people are wanting to see. The industry is always pushing the envelope to see what they can get away with. They promote lifestyles and activities that are in opposition to what our Heavenly Father desires. And when we think about this, when we look at the, the, the definition of entertainment, we see that it's the amusement, pleasure, or instruction derived from conversation, discourse, argument, oratory, music, dramatic performances, etc., the pleasure which the mind receives from anything interesting and which holds or arrests the attention. 
And so and in the following comment, we often have rich entertainment in the conversation of a learn, learned friend. So a lot of times we think of entertainment as being bad, but worldly entertainment is bad. We can actually have entertainment at a Bible school. It can hold our attention. It can be something that we receive uh, joy from. But if we are receiving joy um, or getting pleasure or instruction from these movies uh, that they're coming out with, that's a serious problem, and I hope I hope we're not. Talking a little bit more about this, um, we know that entertainment with, a, with shows and records and music and stuff like that, we know every year the rating systems on these movies, they allow more and more immorality and wickedness in the same ratings that they had the previous year. And for music, we know they always have the, I guess they call it the warning, the explicit lyrics warning that they put on them to let people know um, that they aren't, um, that they're profane and unwholesome. But we see society slipping down the scale, and the public not only likes this, but they demand it, as we know that the movie producers and record producers, they are only going to give the public what the public wants. It's a money thing, and we always know what the public wants by the sales by the numbers. We can see this, the new Avengers movie, the superheroes movie, grossed over a billion dollars in 19 days. It's the only the 12th movie to ever clear the billion dollar mark, but it did it in 19 days. As Brother Jim covered in the editorial, we need to make sure that we don't become a casualty of this worldly entertainment. And also, if those we associate with desire to listen or watch these things that are inappropriate, what are we going to do? Do we go? Do we promote this? This profane and vile. When we think about this, uh, we, can, we can look at how we do or don't do this by the amount of oops, sorry about that, by the amount of money that's spent out of our pockets. If we're buying music and we're buying you know, movie tickets and we're going to concerts and stuff like that that are not appropriate, then in fact we are promoting this activity. And then we also see that the, the, the material that these artists put out a lot of times, um, it's done under the guise of art. And it seems like when you, when you stamp art on it, you can have as much nudity and vile uh, things that you want, and it's okay because they, they call it art. So I hope we have to choose wisely, and we have to make good choices in our lives. Speaking to those um, in the education system, I've heard them um, talking about things, and, and the ill effects of loose morals and lifestyles is really reaping havoc in the schools. Things that would have shocked us, and even those in the world just a few years ago, is now considered as the norm. And when you look at this, we realize this, is, this really isn't a new problem. It's just existed since the early times. And there are many examples. We're going to be looking at some of them, because we know that back just after creation, we see recorded in Genesis where the world hit its, hit its first climax of evil. In Genesis chapter 6, starting with verse 5, it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created off the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. So when we think about this and we look at this, and this is an artist's, this is Francis Danby's uh, depiction of the deluge. And you can only imagine 
those last moments for these people when when the, the waters were coming up from the depths and they were and the rain was falling from the heavens and these great floods and rivers and torrents were coming and uh, here they were clinging for their last moments of life. I mean, it kind of it really gives us a kind of an idea about what that might have been like. But it's interesting that this time period parallels our time today. We find this recorded in Matthew chapter 24 and also in Luke chapter 17. In Luke 17 it says, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until that day when Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, (coughs) excuse me, the same day (coughs) that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So we see that the, the first population of the world was not being able to follow the paths of righteousness. They were being drawn away by an evil heart of unbelief. And living in this world today that we're talking about, this as it was in the days of Noah world, we know that it does affect us. It's impossible for it not to. We should be shocked and stirred by the the downward spiral of society. But as we mentioned, we have become somewhat indifferent sometimes to the things around us, and this is not good. We know as we look around us, there are very many different environments that exist. And this is speaking in terms of a home environment. And we always say that children are a product of their environment, and this is true. And we know our teachers see the uh, sad example of this every day. With kids coming from dysfunctional home settings and having problems getting along with their peers and their teachers and and, uh, coming from single-parent families, having no guidance and no respect for elders or the rules or even for each other, we see in the classrooms today um, a a lot of chaos. And as we think about this, we can see the result, and I think this is also a direct result of, of unbelief, and this is one of the problems that we're having now is this, this uh, a bullying problem that we're seeing, and, and it's, bullies have been around forever, but it seems like it's, it's really been um, on the rise as of late. We have a lot of kids in detention, kids that are, that are acting up, not doing what they're supposed to, and I think it all stems from the fact that, that there's no discipline at home. There's no rules, and we see the the teachers trying to work with these kids, and it's really a challenge for them. Also, their hands are tied because um, our uh, governors and, and those that leaders of our society and their uh, wisdom have taken away a lot of the tools that they used to use to discipline the kids now, and so it's making the job even harder. And we know, of course, when you have no rules at home and, and the kids uh, can do pretty much whatever they want to, they'll stay up late, uh, maybe never even go to bed and then so when they get to school you all may you young ones may have seen some of this action going on um, the students are falling asleep or they don't even care they have this attitude that's that's very detrimental to learning so I believe that we are all somewhat a product of our environment and we need to be in control of our environment at least of the things that we can be in control of 
I realize that there are things that are out of our hand, and in our prayers to our Heavenly Father, we ask for guidance and direction in dealing with these things. But we can't let the world dictate our path to, um, to follow. We do see the world pulling us back and forth on our path, um, causing things that could cause us to veer off the straight and narrow. And we could wind up at the point where our salvation is actually challenged. And we know that um, our Lord and Savior was challenged. Christ had many challenges. We see in John 16:33, it says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. So we know that Christ rose above this. Christ overcame the world to become the first fruits. Christ is the supreme example for us to follow. We know that he sets the pace, not the world. And when we take on the name through the waters of baptism, we too can become uh, a type of first fruits. So that those that are called, those that come and are redeemed from among men, become the first fruits of, to God and to the Lamb, and are separated and distinguished from others as the first fruits would be. They are preferred, being made so by the grace of God, and they are, by the regeneration, regenerating grace, devoted to the service of God, and are formed for his praise and for his glory. Of course, we also realize that all of mankind was formed for God's praise and glory. And we also see in Revelation chapter 4 that all things were created for God's pleasure. It says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. When we look at our lives in our self-examination, if we compare ourselves to the world, it may look to ourselves like we're doing pretty good. At least I hope we look good when we compare ourselves to the world. But we know that it's our Messiah that we're to emulate and not to compare ourselves to the world. Christ is our example. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 21, it says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow in his steps. Now, we know those are big shoes to fill, and um, there's no way that we can attain perfection in that pursuit. But we do know that it is um, our job to try to strive towards that end. And as we think about Christ as being our example, we see that he is an example to us in the exercise of grace, faith, love, in his zeal, his meekness, his humility, in his regard to the commands of the moral law, in his constancy in prayer, and frequent, and, and that, that constancy in prayer is, is, is really important for Christ. We know that he spent hours and hours and, and even all night in communication with his Heavenly Father to receive strength and instruction from him, as we can today also. In frequent attendance on public worship, in his submission to the ordinance of baptism, in his sufferings, and in his patience, courage, and resignation to the will of God, which is what is here intended and in which, in his, in which his people are to fellow and imitate him. And when we think about his resignation to the will of his Father, we think about the verse where he says, Not my will, but thine be done at the time of his crucifixion. So that was the ultimate submission to his Father's will. As we get into this topic this week, 
we see that there is a serious danger to consider of the elusive nature that unbelief has taken on. As we think about what Brother Ernie wanted us to consider, we can see that the problem with unbelief is actually a series of problems, and hopefully, Lord willing, we're going to take a, a look at some of these. But we see it presenting a bigger threat to us than just an assault on our doctrinal beliefs. As we consider the problem with unbelief this week, hopefully it will make us more aware of these uh, hazards that are, that are uh, posed to us. And with our studies and with our prayers to our Heavenly Father, we might be, as it says in Matthew 10:16, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves, but be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So we know that in the world today, we have to be wise in God's word. That's how we're going to survive. We have to keep ourselves unspotted from the influence of unbelief. So we know the battle is on, brothers and sisters and young people, and we've got to be ready. I'd like to take a look now at the original words that we find for unbelief in the scriptures and then look at some of the definition of some of the associated root words that are tied with them. When we first consider uh, the definition of unbelief, we can go to the Webster uh, definition. It says, a habitual lack of belief, especially in religion, a distrust of God's promises and faithfulness. And then we see incredulity and infidelity listed as two descriptive words of unbelief. And in these words, we find incredulity is the quality of not believing in disposition to believe or withholding a refusal of belief. And then we have infidelity is a want of faith or belief, a disbelief of the inspiration of the scriptures or unbelief. Brother Jim wrote in his article, there are distinctions made between unbelief and disbelief. Unbelief implies a lack of belief due to insufficient evidence or conviction whereas disbelief suggests a decided refusal to believe because one is convinced that the position is false or unreliable. Going on, we find that unbelief occurs 16 times in the King James Version, and we find that it's only found in the New Testament. We do know, however, that the concept of unbelief has existed since the beginning of creation. The word unbelief is translated from the Greek words apistia, and apathia. Apistia is the Strong's number 570 and is used 12 times in the scriptures, and it means disbelief or unfaithfulness, while apathia is the Strong's 543 and is used four times, and it means obstinate, rebellious, or disobedient. Then we see some words that are associated um, or base words. And we know that um, apistia comes from the five, uh, Greek 571, which is apistos, and it means disbelieving, untrustworthy, or an unbeliever. And then we know that um, apathia comes from ap apathies, and it means unpersuadable or disobedient. And it also said contumacious, and I had to look that up. Uh, I didn't know what that meant. Swelling against, haughty, obstinate, or stubborn is what contumacious means. So these, from these definitions, we're going to be talking about the problems of faithlessness and disbelief in regards to apistia and the problems of disobedience in regards to apathia. 
I think my Greek probably needs some serious work, but I think you get the, the gist of it there. When we get to the effect that unbelief has on our ecclesias, we know that this concern is for the brothers and sisters, but it's also for you young people as well. We should all be concerned about the problems of unbelief because it affects all of us. When we look at the history of unbelief, we see that it has a very early origin. Even though the word unbelief is not found in the Old Testament, we see that it existed with the first set of humans to ever walk on the face of the earth. As we look back to creation, we can find the first incident of unbelief. We see the transgression of the law occurring just after the creation of man. We know the account well. And Dr. Thomas, in his writings, does a good job describing this. He says, in this state of animal excitation, she presented herself before the man with the fruit so pleasant to the eyes. Standing now in his presence, she became the tempter, soliciting him to sin. She became to him an evil woman flattering with her tongue, whose lips dropped as a honeycomb and her mouth was smoother than oil. She found him a young man void of understanding like herself, and we can imagine how she caught him and kissed him, and with an impudent face and her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. He accepted the fatal fruit and ate with her, consenting, consenting to her enticement, not knowing that it was for his life. Though God had said transgression should surely be punished with death, and yet inexperienced in the certainty of the literal execution of the divine law, and depending upon the remedial efficacy of the tree of lives, he did not believe that they should surely die. He saw everything delightful around him and his beautiful companion with the tempting fruit, and yet he was told that his eyes were shut. What wonderful things he might not see if his eyes were opened, and to be as the gods, too, knowing good and evil. Was not this a wisdom much to be desired? The fair deceiver had at length succeeded in kindling in the map the same lust that had taken possession of herself. His flesh, his eyes, and his pride of life were all inflamed, and he followed her in an evil way as a fool to the correction of the stocks. They had both fallen into unbelief. They did not believe God would do what he had promised. This was a fatal mistake. They afterwards found by experience that in their sin... They had charged God falsely, and that what he had promised he would certainly perform to the letter of his word. Thus, unbelief prepared them for disobedience, and then disobedience separated them from God. So I think he had a pretty good, a pretty good grip on what happened there. And as we look at this first example of unbelief, we see that the actions of Adam and Eve had an impact on the human race that changed everything. It changed the very nature of man and putting into their existence the curses as a result of their disobedience. And it's interesting here in the order which the curses were given, it seems to disclose that the first ones responsible were the first ones listed and then it progresses down the line. So we see the first one that we deal with here is the serpent. In Genesis 3, 14 and 15, we see what happened to him. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, Thou art cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field, and upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So we see this here um, listed in Genesis 3 as the first prophecy of our Savior. 
and shows that in the end that the sin will cripple the woman's seed, but that Christ will deal a lethal blow to sin. And this is, of course, when all things are subdued unto him, and we know that the last enemy that is destroyed is death. So moving on down the chain, we see the next in line is the woman. And to her it was said, And unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and in thy desire, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And we also find in 1 Timothy 2 and 14, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So here we see what was passed on to her because of her actions. And then on down, finally, we come to the man. And with the man we see, starting with verse 17, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall, shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. And in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return into the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and into dust shalt thou return. I can only imagine what life would have been like uh, without this um, in the sweat of thy face curse. Um, we, can kind of, we can kind of think about that. But in addition to the curses, we see also that man was driven out of the garden and he was protected. The way was protected to the life, uh, the tree of life uh, that he had eaten of before. In Genesis 3.24, it says, So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden uh, cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And we know that Many people have pondered about what would have, what it would be like or what would have happened if this first couple hadn't sinned or hadn't failed. Of course, the fact is they did, and life was changed, and we know that their progeny uh, pays the price. And we have this verse um, talked about last night, I believe, Romans 5 and 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin... And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So here we see um, the Adamic sin brought forth and pronounced, the great fall of man. Succumbing, as Dr. Thomas commented, to the sum of the evil things in the world. And as we see from 1 John chapter 2, Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So these character flaws, these are not from God, but these are things that are generated and are a result of unbelief. These are the objects of sin in the world, things with which wicked men are acquainted. Such things that are grateful to the flesh, visible to the eye, and belong to this vain life. Things to serve or fill with pride and vanity. These are the main things to which men today that love the world value most highly in esteem. So we see here in the end for Adam and Eve, unbelief prepared them for disobedience and disobedience separated them from God. So we see this breach created 
the need of atonement. We might try to think of this as a problem today, this unbelief that is something that only touches the world. We do, of course, find it alive and well in the world. As a matter of fact, it's so rampant, it's like a killer virus that's sweeping over the land. And the average man in the world finds himself comfortable in its embrace. We can put him on the left side, desiring everything the world offers. And then over on the right side, we can put the faithful. The believer, with his faith and conviction, tied in hand. But there may be times when a clear distinction can't be established between the two. We may have it as an atheist or one without God on one side, and then the one whose life is totally committed to God on the other. I'm having some help with this fan up here. But we know that there is a large number of people that are in the middle this middle ground, and, and, in, and in here it lies some concern for us because looking back at our definitions, we saw that unbelief implies a lack of belief due to insufficient evidence or conviction. And as we think about conviction, we see the definition is the, <coughs> excuse me, the state of being convinced or convicted by conscience, the state of being sensible of guilt. I think that most of us here are actually convinced of the truth. In growing up and hearing lectures on fulfilled prophecies and seeing how things uh, developed just as the scriptures said they were, and a lot of these are very specific, undeniable specific prophecies um, that were fulfilled. So we know that strengthens our faith and it causes us to believe in the scriptures. But a lack of conviction can throw us into this group of unbelievers as well as insufficient evidence can. We believe the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, and we hold this as absolute truth, undeniable. However, we learn that through the years, that great zeal that made us want to take on the name to start with can slowly start to fade away. And this can be caused by a great many things, and hopefully we're going to take a look at some of these things this week. As we watch the news and talk to those around us, we find a state of chaos in the world today. And we can definitely see the effect that unbelief has taken on mankind and on the brotherhood as well. We can see the folly of man in trying to direct his own steps. In Jeremiah 10, 23, it says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Man cannot solve these problems. They think they can, but they make a very bad <laughs> attempt at it. In many places including here in the United States, we know that God is being taken out of the picture. And this has been happening for decades. Prayers being taken out of the schools. We see the Ten Commandments being taken off the walls and a lot of the uh, courtrooms and public buildings. And the influence of the world is being brought into the schools by the curriculum that's now being taught. Lifestyles and relationships that are banned in the scriptures are now being accepted as, accepted as alternative paths and promoted in the schools. Just recently, we had the Vice President of the United States come out and say that he gave approval for same-sex marriage. And then we know the President was soon to follow. And we have seen many examples of what can happen to people with bad leadership. We know God's people Israel suffered from this. We're going to go into this tomorrow. 
But we must not speak evil of those in authority. However, we see in Second Peter chapter 2 that God will take care of the problem. We know the day of reckoning is coming for those who will not follow after God's laws. In Second Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 5, it says, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, and condemned them with an overflow, overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that should live ungodly. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness, and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed are they, not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. We see these unstable souls that have gone astray are truly vexing for those who are trying to follow God's word. We know that godless parents will more than likely produce godless children. And so on and so forth. These verses tell us of a hard time that just Lot had and those cities of disgust where he lived. And we know apparently he chose, uh, there was a choice he made when they first got there. And that, that was the choice that he made is to, is to move into the city. As it is with us today, we're going to talk more about these choices. But after the president came out with his um, endorsement of homosexuality, local news uh, seven in New Mexico wanted to see what the people thought about this. And so they interviewed some and, and some of them said that they felt like marriage was a relationship only between a man and a woman. And that was good. And one man said, well, I'm almost 40, and in our day and age, we have been able to accept these changes. So in other words, this is the direction that America is going, whether we want to accept it or not. So he said, in our day and age. So here we see the liberation of America, the spirit of toleration. And then he said, we are able to accept the changes. So we see this drift. 12,000 people voted on the polls and it came out that 51% um, were in agreement with it and 41% didn't go for it. They made comments that the Democrats and younger voters were praising Obama for his decision. So what do you think the percentage would have been on this vote 20 or 30 years ago. You think it would have been different? I think it would have. We are seeing a complete disregard for the Creator, for His laws and His commandments. And we know that when the laws were first drafted into this country, that they actually used God's laws in making, in making the laws of the states. They were based on His laws, but it was different back then and morality was at a much higher level. We did see the Ten Commandments posted in the buildings. And we did have prayer in public schools. Children were taught to respect their elders, and they learned a code of ethics. And I believe they were taught good morals. If they got in trouble at home, they were, or if they got in trouble at school, they got in trouble at home. And I, that's the way I was raised. I didn't even want to tell my folks that I had been punished at school because here comes number round number two. 
But I think we're just about out of time, so tomorrow we're going to go into the historic um, record of the battle that Israel had with unbelief and the problems it caused them. Thank you.